Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. So I wanted to start out this episode with (laughs) um, a story of how I ended up explaining birth control and condoms to my (laughs) seven-year-old. I didn't plan on it. Um, There is a Netflix episode called dancing with the birds i believe we watch a lot of nature shows (laughs) do you ever watch nature shows john or did you ever as a kid um as a kid i did a lot like blue planet um planet earth Mm -hmm. like all those different like documentary style like bbc stuff that was on netflix oh oh yeah those were really fun good yeah my kids watched all those to where she's like sick of david attenborough's voice i kid you not (laughs) (laughs) so but dancing with the birds is um about an hour episode on all of the things that male birds do to attract mates several different species some of the birds pole dance like they they find a, a branch to do different kinds of mating dances. Some of them build extravagant nests. But the whole episode centers on what the male birds are doing to attract the females. Um, so she thought this was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, me as an adult, I'm like, oh, yeah, honey, you, you have no idea the things <laughs> I've seen males do to attract women's attention. Um, for this episode... And in speaking about animals, animals don't have a gender and sex in a dictionary tends to be defined on the vi- the uh, virility of the male, like the ability to inseminate and the fertility of the female, the ability to become pregnant. Um, obviously, people, we don't categorize that way because if you can't have a baby, that doesn't make you less of a female. And if you can't make one, that doesn't make you less of a male. Um But in terms of animals, so I'm going to be saying male and female because animals don't have gender. Anyway, so uh, we watched the episode. I'm driving her to her dad's house because I co-parent. And she says, I wonder how often um, birds mate. And I said, oh, that's a really interesting question. I said, depends on the species. Some species of animal mate all the time (laughs) whenever they feel like it, you know they some species they'll have sex for fun and not just to make babies but trying to stick on the topic you know she's seven keep it simple so I'm like some species of animals can mate whenever they want some species of animals mate only like once a season and then some species of animals they do it maybe once in their life cycle and then they die and she's like oh like people (laughs) (laughs) I was like no honey People can actually mate all the time. I said, I only have one baby. She's like, me, I'm your baby. I'm like, that's right. I only have one baby because I only wanted to have one baby. Um, I said, I could have a lot of different babies with a lot of different males if I wanted to, but I don't want to. Yeah. So keep in mind, this is a child, you know, like... (laughs) How do you keep it really, really simple? But she's fascinated, okay? Um, She asked me, like, when she was five, like, you know, where did I come from? Or we had that conversation where I was like, oh, your dad put his penis in my vagina. We did a thing called sex. He fertilized an egg. You grew. Here you are. Lots of mammals do it. 
So anyways. Isn't that amazing how different that conversation can go? Yes. If you just like are honest. Yes. And just like straightforward instead of like introducing so much social stigma and shame. Yes. Like, isn't it just that? That's just how it is. Yeah. And sure, it's like a, it's a little more complicated as you grow up, but it's essentially just that. Yeah. There's no need to like, you know. Yeah. It's uh, nice. Oh, it was, like it was hilarious. But wait, there's more. So when we were watching the episode, <laughs> the uh, the male bird, like success, he, he won the female's approval. So he mounts her, wiggles around for like two seconds, flies away. The narrator says, this will be his only contribution to fatherhood. <laughs> Meaning... <laughs> And I laughed because I'm thinking, yeah, I think we know some males and that is their only contribution to, quote, fatherhood. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's That's get great. back. Let's get back to earlier. I wasn't even driving her yet. We were eating dinner. I almost forgot about this part. And um, she's like, how did he how did they mate? He didn't do anything. It was so fast. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's really quick. But when the, the male bird got on top of the female, it's called. And I swear to God, this is what I was saying to her. I'm like, it's called mounting. A lot of animals do it. Like think of elephants. Yep. You've seen elephants mount, you know, each other. And usually mounting happens when their legs don't move any other way. That's just the most comfortable, easy way to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she laughed. She thought that was hilarious. Um, also, you know, some people like their contribution to sex is literally mounting you, thrusting twice, and that's it, <laughs> which is very stressful. And I'm sorry for those people, um, which is why we work on stuff like delaying. Anyway, so back in the car, we're driving, we're driving. And she'd ask me, you know, like, how often can can people mate or have babies? And I said to her, when I when I knew that I wanted to have a baby, I was looking for a responsible mate. And I met your father and I thought, oh, he seems responsible. He has a job. <laughs> He's handsome. My daughter giggles. I said, females sometimes take a long time picking a mate if they know that there's a high likelihood they're going to be the only one raising it, like the female birds, they're very, very picky. <laughs> they want to find someone who can contribute in the best way for the time that they're there, which is making a healthy baby. This is all like very advanced shit, but she's fascinated. So I'm kind of like proposing the idea of like choice, like choose who you're going to invest your time with. Um, it was so many conversations. So uh, almost to her dad's house. Um, and we had just talked about, you know, only having one baby. You're my only baby. And since she's still like listening, I can tell she's still locked in. I proceed and I say, <laughs> when people want to limit how many babies they have, they practice something called birth control. I look in the mirror. She's still listening. Uh, I said, some people have surgeries to prevent them from having babies. Some people take medication to prevent them from having babies. It changes how the chemicals in their body work. She's still listening. We're almost to her dad's house. I said, some people use barriers to prevent sperm from fertilizing the female's egg. And I shit you not, I look in my glove compartment. There's a Trojan, there's a fucking condom and a red wrapper. And I hold it up and I say, this is called a condom. This is a barrier that I use. So if I have sex with B, we put this over his penis so we can touch and have pleasure. And if his penis goes in my vagina, this will prevent any sperm from getting me pregnant. You peel, you know, the person wearing the condom, I said they take it off after, throw it away. No sperm gets in the vagina. And that's called, that's birth control that I practice. And she's like, oh, cool. <laughs> oh my God. And then like 10 seconds later, she says, and this is how I know she was listening to the whole thing. She says, I can't believe people tell their kids about a stork because they don't want to talk to them about vaginas. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> right? She thinks vagina is a funny word. The reason the stork thing came up is because a year or so ago, she was looking through a book of far side Gary Larson cartoons. And there's a, it's, and that's an old like 80s cartoonist. Look it up. But a lot of them are irreverent. A lot of them are about nature. Some of it didn't age well, but it was written in like mostly the 80s. Um, but there was a cartoon with uh, a stork carrying a baby. And when she first asked me, what does this mean? I almost panicked because I had this like 
multi-step process of how do I not only explain what sex actually is, but how do I explain to her that this is the lie people used to tell their kids to prevent them from having to explain what sex actually is? Yeah, it's amazing like the, the gymnastics that people do. The moral of the story is watch nature shows with your kids because it's going to bring up some facts of life and they might be uncomfortable, but it's also going to bring up like kind of like... I don't know. It might make you realize that like nature is varied and not all creatures mate or partner the same way. But um, interesting. Uh, it really is like the birds and the bees. It's a great way to segue into talking about bodies and natural processes. So uh, I was looking around and I thought we could find some other fun, fun sex animal facts. 10 animal sex facts to make you appreciate missionary position. <laughs> I already appreciate missionary position, but <laughs> I do too. <laughs> this is on Mashable written in 2014 by Laura Vito. Vito? Anyway. Leopard slugs have sex while dangling in midair. Ooh. Slugs have some of the slimiest, most romantic sex of the animal kingdom. According to Slate, hermaphroditic slugs in heat will circle each other for hours, engaging in foreplay that includes nibbling, biting, and tail whipping. Oh, Ooh. my God. When hours. things really heat up, they'll lower themselves from a branch on a thick string of mucus and entwine their bodies. Their penises, often half the length of their bodies, ugh, goals, <laughs> will emerge from the back of their heads, not goals, so that they can <laughs> inseminate one another. But if they're not careful, their organs can become stuck together, requiring one slug to gnaw off the penis of the other. Jesus. Uh, in this, the victim lies, lives the rest of its life as a female. Oh, my God. Oh, my. So hermaphroditic That's slugs. Wild. Isn't that great? But they're all hermaphrodite means having both sex organs or sex characteristics. I might have butchered that definition. But, I mean, we've heard like... Uh, what was the Greek or the Roman? It was hermaphrodite or hermaphrodite. I'll look it up. But it was a, a god that had the, the features of men and women or male, female. Um, Emerge from the back of their heads, though. Damn. Yeah. It's hardcore. Uh-huh. Ooh. Australian redback spiders. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Sexual cannibalism. The female will start to devour its mate while they're still having sex. That doesn't sound good. He to will me. insert in the female, then he'll flip and basically do a somersault to a position where his body is immediately above her fangs. She'll pierce him and begin to chew up parts of his abdomen and eat him while he's mating with her. Jesus. What the what is wrong with like <laughs> animals in nature? nature? That they just can't have like normal, calm, like not like violent in like an actual violent like eating their abdomen way like that's <laughs> speaking of violent have you ever seen ducks mating it looks like rape i mean oh um oh. my my boyfriend's sister actually regularly splits up ducks that are raping each other mm. or like yeah because mm -hmm. apparently in their neighborhood there are a lot of ducks and they like force each other like on the females mm. and uh she like runs at the ducks and shoes them away whenever the females look angry at them oh that's very nice <laughs> <laughs> apparently yeah she's on a crusade to stop duck rape so you know every little yeah. thing helps i guess uh <laughs> female ducks have corkscrew shaped vaginas and the male ducks have corkscrew shaped penises uh yeah. National Geographic magazine says that male ducks are known to violently force themselves on female ducks. Uh, the female duck can physically contract the walls of her genital tract to prevent impregnation. impregnation. God, that's such a weird word. To prevent becoming pregnant. Um, oh my God, this next one reminds me of a video I once saw. Which one? It says panda porn. Scientists have used panda porn to get pandas in the mood to mate. What? Oh, that's number five. I was looking <laughs> at flatworms stab each other with their penises. That was number three. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what does that remind you of? Um, there's this video, an educational video. Educational flatworm mating video. Ew. And it was like, it was a woman who dressed up in a costume pretending to be a flatworm. Mm. I think I've heard, I've seen this lady. She used to dress up in yeah. all kinds of animal costumes and mimic their mating exactly. habits. And it looked wild, which is great to watch. 
Okay, yeah. Flatworms are also hermaphrodites, and they will stab each other with their penises. Whoever inseminates the other first wins. You do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. <laughs> so back to the panda porn. <gasps> Her name is Isabella Rossellini. <gasps> Isabella Rossellini. Okay, everyone go look up her videos. They're fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You should. You have to see the one. She like mimics being a flatworm, stabbing another flatworm with its penis. It's great. I'm ready. Like, I, I have to highly recommend that. <laughs> uh, Let's see. So pandas watch porn. Um, the a young panda in China. They were trying to breed. Researchers showed her a video as an educational experiment, a homemade video of pandas getting it on. Soon after, she was mating like a pro. <laughs> it, there, there is something like for humans, definitely like about watching sex that can arouse you, even if you don't want it, but to have reactions. Um. Male antichinus swerti mate themselves to death. I don't know if I said that correctly. They are mouse-sized marsupials. They look so cute. They have only 10 months before their bodies stop producing sperm, and they enter an intense two-week-long mating marathon. By the end of mating season, stress hormones coursing through their bodies cause their immune system to break down. Before the year is through, they'll die due to infections and internal bleeding. Male That's hippopotamus such a sad is like, death. I know. Such a cute little like mouse looking animal. Like look at that little snout. You guys have to Google it. Like it's, it's a so little cute. snout mouse. Look. And it just dies from sex. Oh. A-N-T-E-C-H-I-N-U-S-S-T-U-A-R-T-I-I. That's how you look them up. They're so cute. Uh, male hippopotamuses are into poop play. They fling feces in the female's direction. That is how they share information about their reproductive health. Mosquitoes perform musical duets before mating. Mm. Um, male mosquitoes buzz at between 550 and 650 hertz, while females buzz at 350 to 450. When female mosquitoes fly close to male mosquitoes, they harmonize their wing flapping at a as a signifier of good health and fitness. If a male can't match the female's song, she's on to the next male. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, my my mom took me to the San Diego. At the time, it was called the San Diego Wild Animal Park. Now it's the San Diego Safari Park, I believe. But um, she took me there, and we did this fun little like parent-kid learn-about-nature thing. And I remember we were taught about how um, mothers find their babies by scent and not necessarily by sight, and a lot of animals use scent. And would you be able to find your baby by scent? And I shit you not, if I'm in the dressing room at work and there's like an item, like a shirt, not underwear, I'm not going to, I mean, I have, but it's not a good thing to do if you're not sure who's there's, who's they are. But if there's like a shirt or a piece of clothing on the floor and I don't know whose it is, I might sniff it because I might know which coworker it is. Uh, yeah. And think about people, people just being in the dark for most of our human history before fire electricity like if we're in the dark and you're trying yeah. to figure out who you want to get close to or be on like you're gonna trust your sense of smell uh hey baby Ugh, i used to wear men's deodorant because i really really liked how it smelled on me but then when i started stripping i immediately realized that i didn't want to smell like a way that my clients might smell like they might recognize their own like product that they use yeah. or that i might just smell like designed to be masculine I don't know. That just came to I mind. I just clicked down to, to number 10. Mm. And anacondas mate in a terrifying ball of slithering flesh. <sighs> in a breeding ball, up to 12 male yeah, snakes writhe around the female in a giant slimy ball. They compete to leave sperm plugs in the female and to remove plugs from rival males. Um, sperm competition is like a real thing in nature. Like, think about it. If you are, and this is why there's been arguments. Um, there's a book called Sperm Wars by Robin Baker, I believe. Um, and there's argument for why, um, oh, not the word, why your ancestry is going to be different than your family tree. Like when people are like, I can trace my family tree back so many hundred years. I'm like, you know that 
whoever you're married to isn't necessarily who sired the children, right? Because females, and back to the bird thing, females, female animals, female humans, when you have limited resources and also like you know that at some point you're going to have to breed and your ability to breed might depend on your living situation. Um, So women might look around and say, well, which man is the best to partner and marry? And I'm just using really gendered terms right now, but in terms of like mating and breeding and cis hetero shit, which man is the better one to marry, but which one might give me healthier babies and offspring? And so it's a way that people will invest in the future of their children. How can I optimize what I can contribute to them through money or good genes? So uh, genetics like uh, paternity in different cultures around the world can vary 10 to 25% from what people actually think it is. (laughs) I think that's fascinating. Absolutely. Yes, certainly. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, as dishonest as that might feel, if you really, really, really want to spend the rest of your life with someone because it feels safe and secure, but maybe they have really bad genes or you just hate the way they smell and you're allergic to their semen, then an affair with someone who smells great and looks handsome and healthy might be appealing. People do that. Um, yeah, fun stuff. So now that we've made people question everything they thought they knew about nature. <laughs> The birds and the bees. It really is the birds and the bees. So watch more nature shows with your kids. Um, Before we take a break, we did an episode with a a guest who offered autism treatment um, and a very controversial one at that. But we do have a guest coming up uh, a few weeks down the road who is someone who is diagnosed autistic, but also does a lot of activism around that. So I just wanted to throw that in there in case some people were bummed about so many things left hanging in uh, that previous episode. Uh, John, let's take a break. Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers. With unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars, use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Rax and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.raxtoriches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing holistic options that work with your schedule. Our Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down, reset, and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? The first Sin Yin class is free to new members, and we offer discounts on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the app to check out all of our industry-friendly class times. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We were just talking about animal sex facts, and now we're going to talk about... I want to mention a kid's sex ed book if I never have before. Part of the reason I'm able to have these conversations with my kid is because she already has a framework for how bodies function and some of the words and language. So um, a book I recommend is Sex is a Funny Word by Corey Silverberg and Fiona Smith. Um, A book about bodies, feelings, and you. I've mentioned it before. Um, I still recommend it. Let's do some book roulette. Uh, did you know that bestiality is more common than we think? Speaking of animals, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I know. I know you're vegan. I know that you like more animals more than most people. I don't blame you for that. <laughs> um, there is a book I love to read for fun times called "Why Is the Penis Shaped Like That?" and other reflections on being human by Jesse Baring, a pioneering researcher in zoophilia. The Maryland-based sexologist Hanny Miletsky found that more than half of the 93 self-identified zoophiles she'd spoken to, which were 82 men and 11 women with the average age of 38, reported being more attracted to animals than to people. 
Uh, 71% from that group considered themselves to be well-adjusted in their current lives, with 92% seeing no reason to stop having sex with their animal partners. See, partners implies that it's consensual. So, like, if an animal's being penetrated, I'm concerned, because I don't know if that's consensual. Yeah, that's definitely, like, a difficult place to to figure out what's consensual or not, because that's never really, like, an analyzed territory, I think, as much. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could see a pet owner. I could see, oh God, I don't want to think about this, but I could see myself being like, I've owned Lux, my poodle for 10 years and I know when he's happy and he just loves licking peanut butter off my butthole. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, that's different though because it's still like the animal isn't being penetrated. Um, So back to uh, why is the penis shaped like that? Uh, Let's see. So of the 92% that see no reason to stop having sex with their animal partners, this is an important point because the current version of the American Psychological Association's DSM-4 classifies zoophilia as a disorder only if an individual's sexual attraction to non-human animals causes the person to experience distress. Bestiality is still illegal in most states, but it's rarely prosecuted, mainly because it's quite a challenge catching an interspecies coital coupling as it's happening so they're kind of saying they he also they don't know how to measure it like how prominent that is um but when you start reading research about people interacting sexually with animals it is more common than you might think special (laughs) do you want to read about butt plugs for your health uh sure (laughs) do you ever use butt plugs uh no no okay mainly i mean i've just never had any on hand uh, to pop in but <laughs> pop in. <laughs> some people like wearing them for like the feeling of the fullness or the pressure and not just for like the look you know like uh yeah. people get the rhinestone ones or the funny little message ones or like a feather tail or something but a lot of people didn't i get a rhinestone one at that christmas party we went to yes but it no, was that was a that was a vibrator Okay. We also received some rhinestone ones and I I have received some um, where I I was like, okay, I hate to tell you, but this is not rhinestone. This is plastic. And also this toy is not made of chrome. It is aluminum and I can see the jagged (laughs) edges. Please don't stick this in your butt. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't use that one. Um, Okay. So did you know this book, the book is Quackery, A Brief History of the Worst Ways to Cure Everything by Lydia Kang, MD, and Nate Peterson. In the 1890s, advertisements began cropping up in medical journals for Dr. Young's ideal rectal dilators, made of rubber and sold in sets of four that increased in size from one half inch in diameter to four inches in diameter. Damn. The dilators were Victorian butt plugs sold under the guise of health aids. The advertisements claimed that rectal dilators were particularly useful for cases of chronic constipation and hemorrhoids, or what they called piles, proclaiming, quote, if you will prescribe a set of these dilators in some of your obstinate cases of chronic constipation, you will find them necessary in every case of this kind, priced at $2.50 to the profession. These were sold until the 1940s. Until the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York seized a shipment of the devices for being misleadingly labeled. Uh, No longer content with simply advertising the rectal dilators as constipation cures, the manufacturing company went on in in the usual way of quacks to add seemingly endless series of medical claims to the packaging. It even promised to cure foul breath. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah, I don't... how did you how did they convince people of <laughs> because people had no education to know what was work what would work for them and when you're desperate it's like uh yeah. that what's that saying this snake oil snake oil salesmen's it means people selling ridiculous concoctions and potions that don't necessarily work but if you've ever had to shit <laughs> I will tell you that putting like had to shit but were constipated. 
a little bit of um, stimulation to that area can really yeah get things moving so they're not wrong because yeah. <laughs> if you manage to get a butt plug that's four inches in diameter in your ass you're probably going to open some things up so in a way <laughs> so this is from sex and history let's talk about sex workers in history the profession of harlot carried no stigma in Sumerian times or in Babylonian. In the days of Hammurabi, about 1750 BC, temples were staffed by priests, servants, artisans, a number of highly respectable priestesses and nuns, as well as sacred prostitutes who acted as congenial intermediaries between worshiper and deity. The exact purpose of sacred prostitution is obscure, but by historical times, the sacred prostitutes' earnings accounted for a substantial part of the temple's income. So the sex workers were allowed to work out of the temple, just, you know, pay, pay, pay a fee. It's kind of like a stage fee. <laughs> That's how I think of that. It's like a brothel fee. It's like, yeah, you can work in the brothel. You just have to pay like 40%, like in Vegas right now. Did you know... I learned this while I was researching decriminalization. You know how people love to say that prostitution is legal in Vegas? Brothel keeping is legal in about a third of their counties, and they only have one brothel in at least one in a third of their counties. Another third of their counties, brothel keeping is legal, but none exist. The other third, full criminalization of the sale of sex, and these are in the most populated counties. So like Clark County where Vegas is. So when people are like, oh yeah, Vegas has legal prostitution. It's only legal if you can drive like 40 minutes or more into the desert and either work in a brothel and have them keep half your earnings or be a client there. But everybody else just gets arrested still. So there's a big barrier to entry because you probably have to follow a ton of rules, regulations, own property, get a business permit, maybe some sort of like like license similar to a liquor license to be able to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then think about racial and like ability barriers. <laughs> so immediately you start putting just people with wealth and charge people who don't have wealth. Exactly. When it comes to like a sexual situation. Exactly. So really this is like a exactly. failed system. So that's why we always say decriminalize, not legalize. Uh, so let's see. The Greek historian Her Herodotus was confused by the sheer number of temple prostitutes. Every woman who is a native of the country, he reported, must once in her life go and sit in the temple and there give herself to a strange man. She is not allowed to go home until a man has thrown a silver coin into her lap and taken her outside to lie with him. Ooh, the woman has no privilege or choice. She must go with the first man who throws her money. When she is laying with him, her duty to the goddess is discharged and she may go home. Tall, handsome women soon manage to get home again, but the ugly ones stay a long time before they can fulfill the condition which the law demands, some of them, indeed, as much as three or four years. So, again, privilege. Yeah. Sacred prostitutes were classified into groups, although the specialties associated with them remain obscure. Uh, yikes, that's cool. So there's, her, I'm going to butcher these words, but uh, the harimtu, the word is related to harem, seems to have been a semi-secular prostitute, the Kadishtu, a sacred one, and the Ishtaritu, specifically a servant of the goddess Ishtar. Last sentence. One Babylonian father advised his son, never take a Harimtu to wife, her husbands are beyond counting, nor an Ishtaritu, she is reserved for the gods. That's the whole like you can't make a, can't turn a hoe into a housewife. <laughs> Yeah. anyway so it's interesting uh so yeah oldest profession in the world still impacted by privilege fascinating so that was some book roulette for you i really wish people john don't you wish people and all of us had more access to like sex and history knowledge because when we have these conversations today where people are like we need to outlaw prostitution it's like how has that worked before or not worked like just go back a couple thousand years there's plenty of examples no. <sighs> All right. So I got a good industry question here. I'm going to read it. So a friend came to the club, sat in VIP, and used that time to warn my stripper coworker that one of our regulars, another customer, was actually a convicted child molester. And his most recent charge was raping his stepdaughter. She warned me about another client. She sent me a picture of him, a mugshot, after his most recent arrest. He came into the club one Saturday, met some of her friends, 
went back to her friend's place and raped and beat her. He was a pushy client and I was mortified when I saw his photo. I had been uncomfortable, but I hadn't made any money that night and didn't want to pass up the chance to make $300. In the private room, he asked about extras, tried to talk me into going home with him, tried to push me to do extra, and at the end, pulled down my thong and tried to touch my asshole. We are not a fully nude club. I ran out of the room and tried to brush it off and get back to work. I didn't tell the bouncer about it because I didn't think anything would be done. Later on, I found out he had done something similar to another girl in a private room before mine. I feel guilty for not speaking out because if I did, maybe he would have been banned for assaulting me and then maybe my coworker never would have met him, the coworker he ended up raping. The police pulled tapes from the club as evidence against both of these customers because remember, these customers are being charged for shit that they did outside of the club. Um, but the their behavior in the club is being used as evidence. She says, although in the back of my head, I know at any point I could be naked in a room with rape with a rapist at my work. This was a really hard reality check. I thought about going to the police with a statement about how he treated me, but I don't know if my story will be an example to his character or if I will be outing myself and it wouldn't even and there wouldn't even be a point to it. Are the police ever on our side anyway? My questions are, how does one deal with situations like this? How do you handle and process assault as a veteran stripper? How would you handle finding out a client is a rapist? What measures do you do to feel safer at your club? I know you're not a stripper, but what would comes to your mind, John? What do you, what would you feel good? Like what steps would you try to, to take? To what specifically? To, I guess to, to do self-care first of all. Um... If you had, if you had a regular, either when it was in cam or, you know, if you were paid and you had sex with someone and then you found out they were a vicious predator, um, would that, would, do you think that would bother it you? It probably would a lot. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah, like if just, there's a lot of vulnerability there. Um, so if you open yourself up to people and you find out later that they were dangerous, it's almost like you're you see a dog in the street that looks like nice and friendly or whatever and you pet it and then later you find out that dog like ripped out someone's throat like i feel like i would probably be anxious about interacting with people <laughs> in general um because i would be reminded of that and mm-hmm. reminded of the possibility that anyone you interact with can be a predator or an abuser um I guess the best thing to do is remind yourself mm-hmm. that the there's a, a higher chance, hopefully, of you meeting a good person um, in in most places, I would hope. And um, and I don't know, in terms mm-hmm. of self-care, probably just like doing whatever you need to do for your mental health, like take a break if you need to. And if you can't, then like you relax and, and do whatever, you know, like comforting self-care or like removing yourself from situations that are too much for you that you have to like to the what whatever's reasonable for you um and, and just yeah mm-hmm. i guess you you could not blame yourself either obviously but you can in the future if you feel really strongly about that you can um maybe figure out what you want to do in advance like oh if someone's really aggressive with me i'm going to do this and then you don't have to think about doing it it's actually one of our dbt skills that i learned like when i did dbt therapy was if you have a plan for something beforehand you don't have to think about it in the moment when you can't think about what to do you know like because it's a lot harder to think when you're emotionally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. charged so if you can figure out a plan for yourself for what you want to do in a difficult situation then you can just choose to act on it or not act on it but then you at least have a plan right and that's really good uh the comparison to the dog like i mean there, like first of all as a person just because someone is nice and pleasant to you you don't know all their secrets you don't know what they're capable of and indeed many people who are harmful and manipulative are very charming because that's how they get away with the most shit so you're not always going to sense it but then if you are sensing little tingly nervousness, like trust your instincts, it's, you know, sometimes it's just really not worth that extra 20 or $300 that might traumatize you for a day or a couple of weeks or longer. Um, but also like, you know, we want to make money. So that's, that's an individual like day by day changing set of variables about sometimes what you're willing to put up with. Um, so to go in order as a veteran stripper, you will be disappointed by people you meet. There will be customers that you think are fine and they will disappoint you when 
they push it. Um, I experience this quite a bit. I like to keep a healthy, <laughs> healthy like arms width between me and many, many clients anyway, and, and not get attached to them or, you know, expect that I can open up to them. Um, tell the bouncers what happened every single time, but don't necessarily accept, expect them to act. The reason I say it's kind of like reporting to the cops. Like if someone breaks into your car and you file a report, it doesn't mean they're going to catch the guy. But if 10 people file a report, the cops might be able to say, holy shit, there's a pattern in this location. And then in theory, they can try to address the problem. So if five girls say this guy did this to me, you know, unfortunately, it might take five or eight girls strippers. I'm sorry, I say girls as a dancer jargon, but it might take five or eight or a, a dozen people to say this happened to me before management or a bouncer takes it seriously but it's kind of like that story with like the boy and the old man wandering the beach and the boy sees the old man throwing like starfish back into the beach that had washed up and he didn't want them to dry out in the sun and the little boy's like what are you doing there's so many you can't possibly address all of them the old man yeah. picks up one tosses it back in he says it made a difference to that one so I tell the bouncers every single thing unpleasant that happens even if I don't expect them to act on it um, sometimes they do. And sometimes if I tell them something happened or, Hey, this guy's going to be a problem and they disregard it and then they're wrong. Maybe they'll listen to me next time. Um, I have found out that some clients are rapists. I had a regular who I found out from a friend. She said, this guy raped me. I did one more interaction with him. Um, and I actually texted her. I said, he's here can I just, do you want me to act normal? Do you want me to say anything? She says, no, get your money. Yeah. So that was it. What measures do you take to feel safer at your club? If you can talk to the other strippers, even if you're not friends, I'm comfortable doing this where I work, but like I've been there a long time, but I will announce to the dressing room, hey, that red hat guy just pulled on my underwear when I was walking by. FYI, everyone. Yeah. And I've actually had other strippers who were like kind of cunty and shitty to me before soften and be like hey thank you for looking out and then that improved our working relationship because it's like i'm not just looking out for myself if we all look out for each other we'll improve the environment if you're lucky enough to do that yeah but that's only if you have the capability to do these kinds of things some people have so much they're already processing and a lot of trauma and they can't that's okay do what you can if you can take a break i agree with john but the economy is tough if you want to maybe like switch to a different modality of sex work, so where maybe you're not doing contact work after, you know, maybe contact work feels risky to you, so you could switch to webcam. No. Not everybody can, but see what your options are. And of course, I always recommend Thriving in Sex Workbook by Lola Davina, because a lot of complex issues are, uh, are addressed in the book, just how to approach things pretty simply. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened to you. Uh, I wanted to read a feedback question on I think it was episode 25 or 27 we were talking I was talking about some of the risks to taking hormonal birth control and why I personally don't want to take anything that stops menstruation we got a feedback message hey Elle hope you don't mind if I make a comment on the last podcast about birth control that stops menstruation I have been to a bunch of endometriosis specialists and all of them told me there is no medical reason that people with vulvas need to have a period I also haven't menstruated for five years and my quality of life is so much better. So that's a good reminder. I get stuck in my privilege sometimes because I don't have endometriosis. So that's not something I considered. John, can you read the bottom one? Next question. I have a question about my relationship. I've been with my girlfriend for four years. For the most part, it's been healthy, but I need some advice. She has never helped me with bills of any kind. We've lived together from the start and hasn't offered to help out financially. We live in the house I bought before I met her. I guess I just want to know if this is normal. I've brought it up more than once, and she says she'll start helping out, but never does. Do I have a right to be upset about this? Should she be helping me? And if she doesn't start, what should I do? It's getting really frustrating being the sole provider for us both, and it's starting to affect areas of our relationship. Yeah, I've witnessed this before. Um, yes, it is totally fair that you feel you're being taken advantage of, especially if you've mentioned it before. I would tell this person, your partner, that we need to set aside some time to talk. And then when the time comes to talk, say, 
I feel taken advantage of, if you do, say I've brought this up so many times and it never gets addressed, which makes me think you don't care about how I feel, if that's true. Say if if you would like to contribute to this relationship more than you already do, you know, with your delightful company or whatever the fuck she does, like why are you dating her? You know, if it's good in some ways, great, but what are you getting yeah. from this relationship? So say if, if you'd like to contribute, can we think of three, one, two, three things or ways you can do that? And if they don't have money and they can't pay bills, then like, could you do the dishes more? Could you water the plants? Can you feed the fish? Whatever. Yeah. You know, and see how that goes. And if they are unwilling to do anything or if they agree and then after a week you see that they've just stopped... I mean, you might have to have another sit down and be like, okay, now what? Because yeah. I think that's ridiculous. And I'm totally fine with someone being a sole supporter if that's what everybody wants. Yeah. But there are people who are like, yeah, I'm going to get a free ride. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, no. And in this economy, hell no. And also... <laughs> It's like kind of unsexy to have a partner that you have to like take care of like a child. Like yeah, if you're doing not. everything for them. Yeah. If, if, it's it's, if it's because of their laziness, then that's not sexy. Good question. All right, let's take a break. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender-neutral, sex-positive, trans- and queer-welcoming, kink-positive, and body-positive. We are just over the 205 Bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. If you could rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be awesome. Reviews always help us. And Mm -hmm. we are going to talk about a weird new form of male birth control yeah this article is i'm reading from vox.com the world's been waiting for male birth control india may be the first to launch it this is like by julia beluz um (laughs) so this article starts out by saying roughly half of all pregnancies worldwide aren't planned yikes (laughs) Why are people starving to death? Oh, I wonder. Yeah. We can attribute this at least partially to the fact that half the species, women, bears most of the birth control burden. Some researchers say if men had access to long-lasting contraception, the rate of unplanned pregnancies was would tumble. So there's a India Indian Council of Medical Research that says they've successfully completed clinical testing of the world's first injectable male contraceptive. So kind of like a vasectomy, but instead of going in and snipping the vas deferens, they inject um, a gel that blocks the tubes so the sperm just can't get through. Uh, It's a polymer gel injected into the vas deferens. Uh, All you need is local anesthesia, just like a typical vasectomy. The person can be awake well, it's done. Oh, so that's like a plug. Yeah, it's like a plug. Uh, so it blocks the sperm. It can last for up to 10 years. Uh, it says that the... Da, da, da. Yeah, I don't know what happens to the sperm when it's blocked. It probably just breaks down and gets reabsorbed into the body. I don't know, but they said it's safe. Some researchers are skeptical. Uh, A 2017 Bloomberg feature on it said that they would try to get approval by Indian regulators last year or two years ago. They also said that it is 98% effective at preventing pregnancy and has no major side effects. So some of the side effects that are common are mild scrotal enlargement at the injection site. These issues resolved within the six-month study period. But two men experienced ongoing, quote, fluid collection around their scrotums. Uh, So Michael Skinner at Washington State University says that that is more concerning and they need longer term trial to understand the impact of its response. 
Six of the men in the trial couldn't tolerate complete doses, either because of leakage from the syringe or because of vast counter punctures. Hmm. Hmm. The 133 men who did tolerate the shot only stopped releasing sperm between one and six months after the procedure, meaning the injection took a while to kick in. So to reach the U.S. market, they need a bigger sample size. (laughs) And there is a California nonprofit group called Parsimus Foundation that has licensed this technology. They have also developed the related product, Vasal Gel, which is in a preclinical phase of testing. Basal gel is an in- injectable gel injected into the vas deferens. That's exciting, but there's a lot they have to iron out. Can I bring up the point? Um, if you're out and you meet a guy and you're like, hey, baby, let's fuck. Do you need a condom? Do you have a condom? And he's like, no, I'm fixed. Are you going to believe him? Because again, if you get pregnant, they aren't necessarily going to be around to help you with that. And also STIs. So this could be great for people like me and B that are in a trusting relationship where we both get screened regularly and we don't need to use condoms between each other. So I'm a little I'm a little hesitant when women are like, we need men to be on birth control. I'm like, okay, but you realize you're still the ones at risk of being impregnated. So like, yeah. yes, that would be a great tool for some people. It will not be a fix-all. Uh, I had pondered in a previous episode if my hormone fluctuations could impact bees hormone fluctuations mm-hmm. um i'm a female he's a male and i joke sometimes that he's on his period and the ims is irritable male syndrome that some researchers have been investigating i found one study from published 2012 called the female menstrual cycle does not influence testosterone concentrations in male partners so this has been studied a little bit um the sample size is pretty small it was 30 young healthy heterosexual couples and they were measured over the course of 30 to 40 days while the women they tracked their menstruation ovulation The men tracked their sexual activity, physical exercise, alcohol intake, and illness. Daily saliva samples for testosterone measurements. So the hypothesis was that ovulation might affect testosterone levels. And it turned out that it was not impacted. However, the sample size is pretty small. And I feel like they should have measured all of the same variables for the men and women which includes sexual activity, physical exercise, alcohol intake, and illness, which it doesn't say that they did. Yeah. So basically, I think this is one study, but I want to see a lot more. And I, I'm still not dropping my hypothesis that hormone cycles could impact each other. I'm not saying it's the case, but I want more research. So if anybody finds more research, send it our way. Yeah. John, you and I have some insomnia troubles sometimes. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to go over a quick little list of things that might be helpful reminders. Um, This is from Bustle. 11 things to avoid doing when you can't sleep, according to experts, by Natalia Lusinski from 2018. Don't look at your phone or any other electronic device. (laughs) Uh, John, do you look at your phone when you can't sleep? Um... (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. At the moment, I would say I smoke enough that not sleeping is not really as much of a problem. I go to sleep very intentionally. um, So that's not... If I don't smoke, though, then sometimes. But usually I'll just put on music and not look at the phone. I do want to mention, though, because I'm nitpicky, um, that it says here your Kindle, but that only applies to... um, non-electric ink kindles so kindles that have screens like ipads yes they emit blue light but if you get a kindle with Mm -hmm. a screen that looks like paper where it's not white but like actually gray like paper that is Mm -hmm. electronic ink and that is that does not emit any blue light um Mm -hmm. i had a nook not a kindle 
Yeah. But I had a nook, like just a simple reader. Yeah. And yeah, that was, yeah. So they're saying uh, Duke University's pediatric neurology sleep medicine program, Dr. Sujay Consagra, says sleep and screens don't mix. The technology we often use before bed emits a harmful blue light that can actually help keep us awake. He recommends avoiding screens for 30 minutes to an hour prior to bed. Um, this one I kind of disagree with. It says, try to avoid late night eating. But like personally, everyone's different. If my tummy is rumbling, I'm not going to sleep. I'm yeah. going to stay awake for three hours waiting for it to go away and then wish I'd eaten something and then I'll eat something and then I'll go sleep. Yeah. But otherwise, they say eating right before you go to bed can set an alarm clock in your stomach to create a weird cycle where your brain and your body thinks it's time to wake up because of your blood sugar. Um, it says to avoid this, try eating a protein rich snack before bed to prevent the issue in the first place. But just in general, they're like eat earlier in the evening. Everyone's different, but thought that was worth mentioning. I, I get sleepy if I eat like a lot. So like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. My mom always told me like this thing, like, oh, you'll get nightmares if you eat um, because like mm. your brain is more active or whatever. But like, I don't, I don't know. I've never really had any problems, even when I don't like smoke, which kind of induces a more artificial sleep. But I, I think mm -hmm. it might be different for everyone. Yeah, mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everything again, bodies, we all exist on spectrums of how we, how we live and function. Don't drink caffeine for hours before bed. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people know that unless you're a crazy person like me who literally goes through the drive through at 3am and I'm going to bed at 4am, but I'm like, oh, this is what I need so that I can drive home without crashing off the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't stare at the clock. They say, don't put a bedside alarm clock if you have it facing you. Um, it says seeing the time in the middle of the night will make you worried, more worried about sleeping. Don't stay awake in bed, says Kathy Morelli, author of Birth Touch series of books, uh, also has training in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Ooh, CBTI. She says if you're lying awake, get out of bed versus lie there endlessly. You want to condition yourself to associate positive sleep time with your bed, not negative awake time. I've actually found this to be true. If I can't really, she says there's a 20 minute rule. If you're awake for more than 20 minutes, you should do something to distract yourself. So I will, I will get up and I will make tea and look out the window. Yeah. They say you can listen to a podcast or read a book. Yeah. Um, don't keep the bedroom temperature too warm. A cool bedroom is conducive to better sleep between 60 and 67 degrees. Interesting. A drop in core body temperature is associated with feeling sleepy. Don't avoid using the bathroom. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> well, yes, do shit. <laughs> don't do a high energy activity. I don't know. Some people like, some people thrive on like running and then going to bed. Like I used to do that. That helped mm -hmm. me sleep a lot as like an ADHD like nut. Like I, mm -hmm. I just can't. Like I go to bed and I'm, I have to have been tired before from either mentally or physically. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. mentally <laughs> I'm too tired, but. Don't drink alcohol mm -hmm. before bed. <laughs> Says the stripper who did that for years. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's true. You will have, once you stop drinking alcohol, um, it, it, you'll, a lot of people when they go sober, they experience insomnia because the dendrites ha, like start waking up. The dendrites in your brain start waking up and they're more active. Um, so that can kind of impact your ability to sleep at first. I sleep a lot better now since I've quit drinking, but there was an adjustment period. Yeah. I, um, whenever I stop smoking and I sleep, I get very vivid dreams. Um, yeah. hmm. something Interesting. I've noticed. Yeah. Cause stuff's waking up. Yeah. And the last one, ha, don't go to sleep at different times every night. <laughs> That's funny. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this article. Someone with a nine to five, maybe. Even my grandparents who are like have no job anymore, like don't go to sleep like every night at the same time. Like I don't I just can't. Every day's different. What time do you usually go to bed? These days it's better than it used to be. I used to go to bed at like two or three AM, even later, like four AM was the norm. And now I go to bed every day at like, I don't know, eleven, midnight. Like at the latest um if i can and i have the energy i'll stay up to like one or two but yeah no remember when i used to like stay up and text you and it'd be like 5 a.m and i was still awake 
Oh, yeah. And you'd be up oh, for yeah. some reason or something early in the morning and I'd be like, hey. Yeah. Or like you'd be at the club till like three or four and I'd still be awake when I lived in, yeah. uh, in Portland and I could like text you and be like, yes. want to get pizza. Like, <laughs> yes, uh, I know. I'd be driving home. You're like, what are you doing? I'm and like, I could, why I could <laughs> Like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, memories. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. So we hope you had fun with this episode. We sure did. Yeah. Uh, write to us. Pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. We're going till the end of the season. We're going to do 40 episodes. So yes, we'll miss you, but there's still plenty of season two left. Yes. Um, we have guests coming on to talk about eco sexuality and feminism and activism and yeah, stay tuned. So thanks John. And then of course, check out our after show. We're going to go there now. Let's talk about Drake and let's read some bad erotica titles in our after show. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone, until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.